Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Speakers. Southwestern Speakers is comprised of top producing thought leaders, authors, and experts who deliver dynamic presentations that shift the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Our team of experienced agents can guide you to find the right speaker for your annual conferences, meetings, and events, providing outstanding service from start to finish. Southwestern Speakers goes above and beyond to elevate your event and offers additional programs to extend the impact of our speaker's presentation long after they have left the stage. I am very excited today because we are talking to Dr. Terry Lyles. Terry's nickname is The Stress Coach. It's a phenomenally important field of study, and as time goes on, it becomes more and more important in our modern lives. Terry has a PhD in psychology and is actually one of the leading experts in the world on understanding stress and the role it plays in our lives, both for the good and for the bad. He has appeared on CNBC, ABC, CNN, Headline News, Fox News, USA Today, U.S. News and World Report, and many more. In South Florida media, he was heard as the stress doctor. His understanding of how humans behave under pressure has been applied by companies like Daimler Chrysler, Estee Lauder, Pfizer, Universal Studios, and many others. Importantly, he has assisted the U.S. military and was at ground zero in the aftermath of 9-11, working with hundreds of corporate and public safety workers to help them redirect the trauma that can accompany stress and enable them to function. So with a great deal of respect and anticipation, welcome Dr. Terry Lyles. Terry, to start out, would you mind just sharing a bit about your background? and how you became interested in studying stress in general. Yeah, it started back when I was young. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, around the famous Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the brickyard, as people call it in the NASCAR world uh, as well, now that they've been using it for several years. So, yeah, I grew up around racing, love racing, grew up my entire life there, but just was never able to get into racing at that level. We raced locally with friends and colleagues there growing up, but just didn't have the funding to really do that type of racing, but always loved it and would go to the track and look through the fence and wonder what it would be like to go inside and eventually was able to uh, buy a ticket, you know, as I got older and go in and I obviously I was hooked before it started. And interestingly enough, this is a podcast. The only way you could hear the race was literally to hear it on race day because they would block out the TV broadcast. So we would gather around radios, and this wasn't in the early 1900s. I mean, just, it wasn't that long ago. They just blocked it out where you couldn't watch the race, which was really interesting for us growing up there. So we listened to the radio. We'd be in people's garages working on cars and listening to the race and just enjoying it the best that we could unless you could afford to go to the race. So that didn't work out the way I thought it would, so I ended up leaving from there, transitioned to Anchorage, Alaska, on an opportunity to uh, work with some military groups, and ended up with the Air Force Base at Elmendorf in Anchorage and spent three years there uh, in the mid-80s and was 
working with other people studying uh, pilots. I was a student at the time, and they were studying pilots and helping them what's called seasonal affective disorder or SAD. And it's the lack of sunlight on the brain and how that affects us not only in our metabolic rate, but within our security base of who we are. It's basically, you know, sunlight creates vitamin D, vitamin D, melatonin, melatonin, serotonin, which becomes a natural Prozac, if you will, or an antidepressant. So, you know, we need to be connected through the universe to actually be balanced. And when sunlight, because it's dark six months of the year, primarily in Alaska, and light six months, in those dark months, it was challenging. Uh, and if you, if you had any predisposition whatsoever to depression or low levels of serotonin, uh, you were going to struggle. If we're a fighter pilot, that was a problem. Back in that day, we were chasing Russian MiG jets out of our airspace 90 miles away in the Bering Strait every 90 minutes. So it was a, it was a huge challenge. And we learned a lot from that, like how to maximize the consumption of complex carbohydrates versus simple how to use light boxes, how to maximize rest and recovery cycles through the day as well as the night, which was huge. And that's really what started me in this whole process, learning the power of what's called oscillatory recovery, which is in an EKG or an EEG, the heart rate and the actual brain wave, you see it up and a down and up and a down. That up is stress, that down is recovery. And that is like your pulse or your heartbeat or your brain wave. And I began to realize that the disconnect was we didn't have enough recovery through our day to counterbalance the amount of stress that we were exuding. So ended up going from there, went through Nashville for a couple of years, ended up in Detroit for the entire 90s, continued schooling and had a practice, and then was pulled into the corporate world. And uh, Daimler Chrysler, which you mentioned, which was Daimler at the time. Before then, they were just Chrysler, then they went to Daimler Chrysler, then they went to Cerberus, and then they went back to Chrysler Corp. So they went through several iterations of my 15 years being around them, but it was Chrysler uh, Corporation, and that opened the doors to General Motors and Ford and a lot of the suppliers, Delphi, and uh, which was one of the, the suppliers for parts as well as EDS, which was an electronic company that Ross Perot owned back in the day. And it, it really opened up this door of me speaking and training and sharing what I had learned about the mind-body capacities. And I had a radio presence the entire time in Detroit for 10 years. So I had an open mic most every day, two hours a day, actually, but just five days a week. And it allowed me to interview a lot of interesting people, including uh, Dr. Herbert Benson at the Mind-Body Medical Institute at Harvard. And he became a regular guest on the show. And this guy, he's written like 40 books. And you know, we were able to talk about what he was learning, what I had learned, and combining that. That drove me to sports science. So I ended up moving to Florida. I did a sports science training at a facility in Orlando and was able to train and watch the training of elite athletes literally from 22 different sports all over the world, from U.S. Olympic teams to the NHL, NBA, NFL, racing. And that really got me to dive in headfirst in what I now consider human engineering, how to manufacture and align the mind-body capacities to get a result. So that's kind of how it all started, just as a synopsis. That is an incredible pathway, Terry, and I can see how it's led up to where you are. And also makes good sense to live in South Florida to produce much more of that melatonin and serotonin. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's the sunshine state, you know, so <laughs> it's a good place to Very be. Very true. That's right. Well, tell us more about, about stress in general. You know, most people, when they think about that, it's all negative connotations. And yet you sure. refer often to what you call good stress. Share a bit yes. more about that. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, and I still get the same responses, actually, after all these years, because we just don't, we just have a disconnect, I think, with what stress really is. And I consider stress as gravity. You mentioned good stress. It's the title of a book that we just now re-released because of sales, uh, and we'll tell people how to get their hands on that. But it's basically, it's called Good Stress, Living Younger Longer. And I can still lay one of those books down on the table, and somebody will look at that and go, good stress, what is that? I mean, it's like, I need that. I don't even know what that is. And it's interesting because we only really think about stress as bad, and it's only one side of the coin. And primarily, it's anything that we perceive or view in life as a threat. It could be people, places, things, weather, uh, health, economy, anything that we view as a potential threat becomes bad stress that we must navigate. But the other side of that coin is potentially good stress. But what that stands for is challenge. So I call that a challenge response. And I use this with military. I do a lot of military training and debriefing with personnel coming back and forth from the theater of war that have post-traumatic stress. And part of this training system is helping them understand that it is a mind-body capacity. And outside of the physical wounds of scars, the emotional wounds of scars from war are the limbs that are dismembered emotionally that you can't see. So it looks like a normal person walking around, but they're really in a wheelchair. You just can't see it because they're emotionally scarred from what they saw, heard, felt in the battlefield. So part of our training system is helping them dissect that, go through it, unpack it, and put some reality around it that they can live out their lives as normally as possible. So that's what we consider the threat challenge response. How do I take something that's a threat in my life, i.e. bad stress, and not eliminate, you can't eliminate stress because stress is gravity. You convert bad stress to good stress by taking your threats and turning them into challenges, and therefore you utilize it correctly. Because I, I commonly say stress is nothing more than gravity, and we need gravity to stay on the planet. We're constantly falling around the Earth, and if it wasn't for gravity, we'd fall off the Earth. So gravity keeps us pulled down from a, a, from a magnification of just an energy force that pulls us down, that holds us. That's a good thing. And if you're in space, you're you're in a different gravitational pull, and you're falling around the Earth. So that's why they're floating around in these spaceships because the the gravitational pull is so different because there's no there's no gravitational pull toward an, an object. So there's an engineering term that we utilize in in, in the engineering worlds in racing and aviation, and, it, and it's it's very interesting in this whole analogy because. When we look at applied force, so if I'm standing on the earth, the earth is kind of slightly pulling me down, but I'm standing up or sitting down, that keeps me on the earth. So this preload is the engineering term. So a preload is an applied amount of force in one direction creating a certain effect. And it's a lot like uh, using the brake pedal of the gas pedal of your car. And if, you, if you've ever put a teenager in a car, which I've done before, and it's kind of scary at first, you put them in a the car and you say, okay, let's drive. There's the gas pedal, there's the brake pedal. They stomp on the gas and then they stomp on the brakes because it's either all on, all off. They don't understand preload. And you have to use your senses to understand. As I see I'm approaching something in a car, I gradually start applying the brake pedal. And as I don't see it, I gradually feather the gas pedal. That's called preload. And our life is a lot like that. And normally we don't always do that. We're all on, all off. I go from a call to a, a, a meeting then I blow through lunch, maybe I don't eat, maybe I just take more calls, and I end up like Mach 2 with my hair on fire all day, and I'm not really using gravity to my benefit to make it good. It's only bad because I run out of gas before the end of the day. 
Well, how does this relate to what athletes often talk about being in the zone? I know you've referred in the past that it's not some magical yeah. place that you wake up and on the court you're in it. What right. do you do to get there? Well, it, and part of what I write about in the book, obviously, is there's four capacities of all of us as human beings. And it's who we are mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Those four capacities are my mind, you know, what I see, what I concentrate and focus on, my emotions, which is what I feel, whether I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm excited, I'm exhausted. The spiritual side of it, which is my connection to why I do what I do every day, it's my life purpose. And physically, it's obviously our energy levels from the, the blood science and oxygen level. So when you combine those four pieces together, as I commonly say, those are the four wheels in our car with tires. It doesn't, you don't have to have four flats to have a bad day or two. You only need one and, and your entire car and your commute has been disrupted and you have to pay attention to that one. And so many times we don't, we, we have one flat and we drive on and we have another flat. We just keep driving and our days become linear, which means there's no oscillation. There's no up and down movements like our brain and our heart is normally doing up and down, up and down, up and down on an EKG or an EEG. We flatline, and that's really not a good day. But in many days, that's what we're doing. We're mocked you with our hair on fire, just blowing through our day, and we don't get enough oscillatory recovery, which is movement recovery to recharge our batteries throughout the day. So with that process, athletes learned this early on. And in the sports science clinic, we were able to watch it under machines, but like blood oxygen levels. We could watch brain synapse and see what was happening. We could see what kind of blood flow they had. We knew what they were eating, how they were resting, how they were exercising. And we'd put together an entire protocol. But athletes have a mindset that they love their stress. They just don't use that word to define it. They use the word competition. Great athletes and competitors love competition because it gives them a a stage to show their talent and skill under pressure. And that's what we just need to learn, how to have the mind of an athlete and create a good stress response in their lives. Now, haven't you actually measured some of these biometric responses in race car drivers in real time during a major race? We have, and we're getting ready to do it for all races coming up uh, in 2019, so we're really excited about that. But in the 2015 uh, season uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, actually, I had three Actually, I had four drivers wired up at once before the race started in practice a week before. One of them crashed out. The second one, uh, James Hinchcliffe, uh, had my device on. He hit the wall, almost killed himself, actually. He ended up doing five surgeries and was out the rest of that 2015 season. He actually came back in one second to Dancing with the Stars. He was a guy with a beard from Toronto. So he ended up, he actually became a good dancer. But he's back in the car now driving, but we were able to monitor his vitals. And then the the last one I had, well, I had two left, and Jake's was one of them, and Sage Karam, a young driver. Sage Karam crashed out in the first lap of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Indy 500 in 2015. So I had one guy left, this guy named James Jake, and he wore it through the entire race, and it was great. So we broadcast on ABC, and for the first time in history, we were able to really watch the vitals of an athlete at that kind of stress production, pressure, and speed at 230 miles an hour, uh, oscillating over three and a half hours, we could watch their blood pressure and heart rates jump from, you know, 140 beats a minute up to 190, almost 200 beats a minute in certain corners. And to do that for three and a half hours is pretty astonishing. So 
We, we want to continue to duplicate that. We use that for health and medical and safety purposes, not only for IndyCar, but we're going to do it with NASCAR as well. So I'm really excited about the technology that we've created around this, which I learned 15 years ago, but we just had multi-million dollar machines to do it. Now we can do it with microchips inside of the ear canal. That's just phenomenal technology. It is. It's fun. To people like us. Yep. Well, we do the, we do the same thing. I, you and I had some other conversation. We do the same thing with fighter pilots, uh, for the Air Force and the Navy. And we've done a lot of research with Air Force pilots with F-16, F-18, F-22 Raptor pilots pulling up the nine G's, which is nine times your body weight, either vertically or, or, uh, laterally. And we can watch the impact of the body and the key is breathing and how to control your breath and basically push the oxygen and the blood which which flows with it together from the lower extremities of our body back up to our brain so we don't pass out. We get lightheaded, as they say. It's when our blood leaves the body and we get lightheaded and we will black out, pass out, or go to sleep. You know, when we look at, you eat a big meal. Let's say you eat a bunch of carbs and some bread. You give it like 45 minutes to an hour. All of a sudden, you get, your eyes get heavy and you get tired because the blood is rushing from all of our body to go to our stomach to digest and metabolize so we get lightheaded and we get sleepy. And this is what corporate people are doing every day. They eat the wrong things primarily, and then secondarily, they eat too much, and they crash during the afternoon. And we we need to be performing all day. And we just don't know what we don't know unless we train and perform as a pilot or an athlete or an astronaut, which we're now doing the same thing with NASA astronauts here in South Florida. Actually, we, we put them underwater. And they survive for about three weeks in a, in a water container to, to mimic space because of the gravitational pull that's very similar uh, in space as it is underwater. And we can see the results of this biometrically. And to be able to translate that to a kid who's going to school to know that when you feel pressure about taking a test or an exam, just know that if you breathe correctly and I teach you how to do that, not only can you be calm and get through it, you can actually accelerate through that. Or whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a corporate executive, whether you're a professional athlete, doesn't really matter. Our bodies and minds' capacity operate pretty much the same way. It's just knowing how to maximize that. Mm-hmm. Well, just a question, Terry. When you talk about people going through their day at Mach 2 with their hair on fire and they don't last <laughs> yet every time, oscillatory recovery, how does somebody yep. do that when their to-do list is so long and they've got the phone ringing all the time, messages needing to be returned, and meeting to get ready for it? How do you build this sort of oscillatory recovery into that kind of a schedule? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I have several chapters in the book, Good Stress, just about that, how to do it at work, how to navigate stress at work, how to navigate stress at home, which we usually don't use the word stress. We call it chaos, <laughs> you know, performance as an athlete, <laughs> whichever word we use. So it's either stress, chaos, or performance, competition, if you will. So it's all this, everybody's trying to do something. And it's just utilizing that correctly. And how to do it, I call it pit stops. You know, if you've ever watched a race of any kind, all these races at the professional highest levels have pit stops. And the reason they do is because they're trying to run as fast as they can without slowing down to be fastest on the track. But you can't finish the entire race on one tank of fuel because it would weigh too much, first of all, and you would wear your tires out. So they... They monitor pit stops where they come in, and in NASCAR, they're doing this in 13 seconds. They change four tires and fill up with fuel. In IndyCar, they're doing it in about seven, seven and a half seconds. 
In Formula One, they do it in about 2.9 to 3 seconds because they don't add fuel. They stopped doing that a few years ago. So if you don't have 3 seconds, 8 seconds, or 13 seconds in your day to get recovery, you're just too busy. You're just going to die young. (laughs) It's like, why do this? So in the corporate world or in our daily lives, you need two to five minutes of recovery every two and a half to three hours, two to five minutes. You know, so it's not that much to do. And your question was, how do you do this when you're making phone calls and you're, you know, you're running to meetings and you're building PowerPoints, you're doing presentations and all the things that we do, you can do it and you can even do it on the fly. Our drivers are doing it at over 200 miles an hour while they're in the car, they're getting recovered. Pilots have to do that while they're in the aircraft, literally Mach 2 with a hair wire. And they learn how to do this in a lab. So if they can do it at those speeds, at that level of concentration and life and death scenarios, at every turn and at every corner, we can learn how to do that. It's just knowing that it's up to us to know when to do it through our day and why. Mm -hmm. So two to five minutes every two and a half hours, which in fact – kind of mimics the old industrial schedule where people had a mid-morning break that was often negotiated by a labor union. They had a lunch break. That's correct. An afternoon break. That's right. But many people are, that are self-employed or in fast-paced corporate environments don't have those structured schedule breaks. But what you're advocating is that anybody can build those in if they make it a priority. And if they don't, they're going to have flat tires and run out of gas and be much worse. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you know, I train, like I said, I've trained almost... 35, 36 drivers, I think it is now. IndyCar, Formula One, NASCAR, sports car, NHRA. I love racing, as I said earlier in the broadcast. And it doesn't take long as a young driver that when you hit the wall because you wore your tires out and now your race is done and that affects your entire season, a driver starts listening very carefully to their crew chief to say, look, don't overdrive the car. You have to come in for tires. You have to monitor how much fuel you're burning during the day. And if I run out of fuel before my day is over, I've limited my performance through the day. How do you stay energized all day and still get home and have something left when you get home? You must recover. The key is recovery. Stress is not our problem. The breaking of linearity or linear stress or flatline stress is oscillatory recovery. So as I take those breaks every two and a half to three hours, two to five minutes in length, I'm literally matching what the EKG and the EEG is doing on machines for me, and I'm monitoring and mirroring what's happening inside of my body naturally from birth. You see, because our DNA shows us how to recover. We were all infants. We all came out pretty much the same way, whether it was natural delivery or C-section, but we were all born. We lived in a, a, a watery space, literally. And our first life crisis was our own birth. For the first time, your lungs are shot. Fluid comes out. Air goes in. You feel cold. You feel hungry. You're screaming. We go into this panic mode, and then all of a sudden we get secured, and we learn the rest of our lives how to navigate life storms. That was the, the premise of my first book I wrote several years ago, The Secret to Navigating Life Storms. And it's the issue of navigation. So as infants, listen to how simple this is. As infants, we all ate the same way. You only do three things as an infant. You eat, you sleep, you export diapers. That's it. That's that's your whole life. And somebody's doing it for you because you're not able to. So we're doing that about every three hours. That's our DNA. That's our wiring. We are hardwired for 
recovery and it's oscillatory. The problem is we're wired for success from birth. We become programmed for failure because we just don't do what we're wired to do as an infant. We don't eat six times a day anymore. You know, we no longer do that. We don't take the kind of recovery breaks that we should. And as a result of that, we end up with fatigue issues, sleep disorders, anxiety issues, depression issues, and all these other compensatory things that can be harmful to us because we're just not recovering correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, during these oscillatory recovery periods, this two and a half to five minutes every two and a half hours, what in briefest terms should a listener do if they want to begin to practice this? You know, it's really simple. And some of us are doing it and we're just not realizing that we're doing it. But let me give you an example. So let's say I'm on a conference call and like this and we're doing an interview and I get off this call and I run to another meeting or another call and, and I just keep running all day because I'm busy and you're busy. We're all busy and you're just bumping along. And if you don't at least transition and I can do a recovery transition or an oscillatory break as, as it will from this office to the restroom and back if I'm intentional. But here's where technology comes. I have a whole chapter on technology because of this. Techno stress. Because we'll take our technology with us even to the bathroom. I mean, we don't even, we don't even take a break. Like, while we're taking a break, we're doing something else. And it's not that we have to sit still and do nothing. It's just being intentional about how do I clear my mind for a moment or how do I emotionally just say, you know what, things are good today. I'm stressed. But how do I make this good stress? My purpose on the spiritual side is, hey, I'm making a difference. I'm changing lives. Physically, if I've been sitting down for two hours, I need to stand up for two to five minutes. So if I've been standing up, I need to sit down because you're breaking linearity. You're doing the opposite stress you're in, which creates recovery. So it's just being intentional that every two and a half, three hours, at least, I need recovery. And every two of those recovery breaks, I need a meal or a snack. Okay? So you just need to you build it into your day. And you incorporate it. And I've watched corporate America go through this over the past almost 20 years, 18 plus years, where we create what's called recovery-friendly environment, where the corporate atmosphere allows you to take breaks and they don't shame you because they know you're creating more energy to come back to be more creative, have more initiative, be clear-headed, more focused. All those things come out of recovery, not out of just stress itself. Mm-hmm. So true. So. I love these ideas because they're very specific and there's something anybody can practice. Change your physical pose. Yes. Use good self-talk to be intentional about what your purpose is. Breathing. Mm-hmm. Small meals six times a day. Those are all things people mm-hmm. can take on board. And that's each of the chapters in the book. I mean, it's really, really simple. And you know, it's so simple. It even, it's, it's so simple. It's, it's almost embarrassing when you really look at it that we're like, how did we not get this? This is what the owner's manual said. I mean, you never pull an owner's manual out of your out of your car unless something's broken, unfortunately, and that's why we choose to go to doctors is when something breaks. But our owner's manual says we need this. We need this from birth. That's why we do it from birth. We just don't model it through the rest of our lives. So if we go back to the owner's manual before we break down and do maintenance on the car or the vehicle, the aircraft, or our bodies, minds in this case, we'll have less breakage. Because we're navigating correctly. We are using recovery of all those systems, whether it's liquid systems, electronic systems, oxygen systems, whatever those systems are that need paid attention because everything needs maintenance. The the unfortunate thing is we just don't always take care of ourselves the way we should because we're too busy. 
And unfortunately, that's why things break down, even including relationships. Well, there's no question about that. In fact, it reminds me of the old uh, Motorola commercial. You'll either pay me now or you'll pay me later. <laughs> you'll pay me, but either way, you're paying because that's life right. is a one-way yeah, a journey. Well, life's a, yeah. Well, I say, life's a one-way journey. No one survives life. It has a 100% mortality rate. Everyone's going to die. It's either when, how, and where. I want to live as long as I can. I want to be as effective as I can. And I want to have as much impact as I can and leave something behind that hopefully the world is a better place because I impacted with it. And unless we're doing that, you know, we just kind of survive. I don't want to survive. I want to thrive through my life. That is a phenomenal attitude, Terry. I love it. Now, hitchhiking off that idea, what do you mean when you talk about speed of recovery? Sure. No, that's a great point. There's two, there's two quality factors that we look at in, in measuring performers. And it, one of you just mentioned, it's, it's the speed of your recovery, and the second one is the quality of your recovery. And what I mean by speed of recovery is how quickly can you go from a, a high negative state of emotion and, and mental confusion or spiritual, I don't believe the company's mission statement anymore, or the physical energy level where I'm just exhausted, how quickly can you go from one of those states of acuity to a positive state? The elapsed time in between crashing in one of those places, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and getting back to a top performance opportunity through those four is your, your fitness. So here's an example. If I get confused or distracted, how long does it take me to get back to concentration and or focus? That elapsed time is my mental health. Emotionally, if I get sad, depressed, lonely, exhausted, and, you know, or I'm angry, fearful, frustrated, that's a high negative side. How long does it take me to get back to the positive side? That elapsed time is my emotional health, spiritually. I believe I'm changing the world. I believe I can make a difference. I, I believe that, you know, most people would want to do good every day. And two, I hate my job. These people, they don't like me. I don't like them. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. I'm going to resign, blah, blah, blah. That elapsed time from going from a negative to a positive is your spiritual health. Because it's all about your purpose connection. And then physically, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's your energy level. How quickly can you go from I'm exhausted, I'm tired, to I'm excited, and I accelerate now because I feel energy surging through my body again, physiologically. So that speed of recovery is how we measure health. So if I get you, if you're sitting down now or standing and you're still, and I get you doing calisthenics for two to three minutes, as we would with an athlete as an example, we know what your resting heart rate is. And we get your heart rate elevated, and then we tell you to stop, and we monitor how quickly you can get your heart rate back down to resting heart rate to match what it was before. That is your fitness score. Okay? So it's called a VO2 max score. It's how quickly you can marry oxygen to blood cells. It's a cardiopulmonary effect. That is your fitness score. That's science. So the speed of recovery is how quickly can you recover to get back to where you need to be uh, in a performance, whatever that performance is. And then the quality of your recovery is you need to do the right thing. So if I don't know what I need from my bo- mind-body engineering standpoint, I have a neighbor that loves his lawn. I mean, I think he's in love with his lawn. I mean, he mows it. He manicures it. He, I mean, he literally makes love to his lawn like every day. And it's the burning heat, and he's out there trimming. And, and I'm like, I – I don't do that. I have somebody do my lawn because doing my lawn is stressful to me. To him, it's recovery. 
but I'll go running at noon down the street in the heat for exercise, and he thinks I'm crazy. Why would you run? You're trying to die in the street. Why are you running in that heat? That's stressful to him, but it's my recovery. We as individual performers have to know what is stress and recovery for us because your stress could be my recovery, my recovery could be your stress, and vice versa. So that quality of recovery is knowing what I need to get the best recovery I can and the speed of that transition. Mm-hmm. It's all about self-awareness, knowing what works for one that may not work for yeah. anybody else, but if it works for you, it works for you. Absolutely. I mean, my wife and I are similar but different for a lot of reasons, and, and I'm glad about that. And It's polarity. But I have to be mindful of the fact that what I may do for recovery may not be what she needs to do for recovery and vice versa. So in a relationship, you also have to tag into that to realize that we're similar, but we're still different. And everyone, like you said, from the self-awareness standpoint, has to really understand what their positive and negative flow of energy is uh, from the mind-body capacity side. It's kind of like whether you're on a phone or your computer, whatever it is that needs power. Everything needs power. The universe needs power. That's why we have a sun. And that's why gravity is working to keep us here. So, you know, we all need power to live. And if I don't understand where my power source comes from, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I can have power surges, which means I now have to do what I do slower to conserve energy. But the universe is filled with energy of people like you and I, with oxygen, with sunlight, with food, with hydration, with rest and sleep. We have a plethora of energy sources all around us. The question is, are we utilizing those to our benefit through a speed and quality recovery system to make sure that I'm extracting that around me and putting it into me to be the best I can be every day? (laughs) And let me just say this. One of the things that, you know, one of my constant mentors through this whole process is I, I have three children. They're all boys. And my oldest son was born in, in Anchorage, Alaska. Long story short, he was born. He looked pretty normal, like most kids. You know, you have a cone head. You have the normal kind of stuff. And then they kind of develop. And, you know, you you, go, you do your thing. You're a first-time child, 5,000 miles away from family and friends and home and so forth. Six months into his life, he ended up with some serious problems. And he started losing weight. He lost his equilibrium. He couldn't sit up or stand on his own anymore. And... Uh, not that he ever had stood, but he, he used to sit up and then he couldn't. So his balance left. He started having seizures. Long story short, that's why we went to Nashville. We went to Children's uh, Hospital there at Vanderbilt. We spent three years there for him. Went to Detroit mainly for his health because we went to U of M uh, research centers. I mean, we just did everything we could do. And long story short, he's 33 years old now. He's totally disabled. He's about 70 pounds. He's about four feet tall. Uh, he sits in a wheelchair. He doesn't speak. He doesn't walk. He's still diapered, fed as an infant, has a mentality of about a five-year-old. That's been my stress. And I had to make a decision early on in his life and my career that I'm either going to not fix it, which is what I typically try to do. I try to fix things and correct things as a scientist and or an engineer. Can't fix him. How do I navigate this? And that's kept me balanced in my life enough to say, if I can't fix it or change it, I must have relationship with it. And I have a great relationship with my son, even as we speak. And he's lived and died so many times. He's cheated death multiple. I couldn't even tell you how many times. We even had a a make-a-wish granted to us 
one year because they gave him six months to live and he lived through it. We did do the, the wish. It was great. We went to Disney, had a great time. You know, we did what we did, but he just keeps living. And he, he has become a life source to me, even though he could do nothing himself. So the energy around us is even from brokenness. It's not even from just sunlight and, and darkness and recovery and food. and It's all those things. But sometimes it's the thing that's messed up in your life that you need to embrace to get energy from it, to convert the negativity to positivity, to take the broken and make it well. And even though he, he's not well, it makes me well because he teaches me that, I can be the best me I can be. And if I complain about anything today, there's obviously something wrong with me when he can't walk, talk, diaper and fed as an infant. There's something wrong with me. I've got to fix me. Gary, it's amazing because you didn't know the questions I was going to ask, but I was about to ask you about significant setbacks and obstacles that you faced, and you were right there anyway. And well, that's... say how inspiring it is <laughs> yeah. to hear what you said, just shared. Wow. And, and, you know, that's, you know, I've had a lot of setbacks. I mean, we all do business setbacks. You know, I've been boom bust my entire career because I'm an entrepreneur. So I've had money. I've had no money. I've bought houses and sold houses and bought cars and sold cars to keep the business going. And when you're driven by passion and excitement, you know, sometimes you'll just do whatever you think you need to do to make it work. And not all of us have to do that or should do that. I wouldn't even encourage it, actually. <laughs> Only if it's something you feel compelled and called to do. But you know what? The birth of this biometric technology system that we've done has been a three-year engineering journey. And we're finally there. And I'm so excited. I'm elated, actually. But it's been a lot of hard work. And you know, there is no success without failure. And my son is a constant reminder that there is no failure. The only failure is when you quit. And I'm not going to quit. Mm-hmm. I've never I'm on the right si- I'm on the I'm on the right side of the dirt today, buddy. I'm on top of it. <laughs> That's right. The, the morning affirmation first thing that hits my mind is I am grateful. I have another day. And you know what? And, and you just said something really powerful because we found out in our studies that the, the quickest way to change blood oxygen levels is by breathing, obviously, because we need breath. It's the first thing you do out of the womb. It's the last thing you do before the tomb. You need oxygen because everything in our body has to be oxygenated. It is the power source, the energy flow into our blood system and into our lungs that keeps everything flowing as a system. It's like a car that has a radiator and fluid and a battery and you know, an engine source and so forth. But what's interesting is, so the quickest way to change my blood oxygen levels by breathing correctly. We know this through Lamont classes, martial arts, fighter pilot G-loading training, race car driving training. It's all based around breath. If, if they understand sports science and are applying it correctly. The second quickest way is by gratitude. You can change your blood oxygen levels just by being grateful. And every morning, I, what you just said, I wake up and I just think about how grateful I am that I can sit up in bed on my own because my, con- my son cannot. I can stand up and walk. I can breathe on my own. I can feed myself. I can walk around. I can, I'm blessed before I ever sit up in bed because he can't. And that gratefulness has driven me my entire life like rocket fuel. So you being grateful, like you say, that's a, a huge piece of recovery that fuels our lives. 
Well, it makes all the difference. You know, every animal, every organism can learn through repetition and through exposure, but humans are the only ones that can put things in perspective. Mm -hmm. When we take the right perspective, Mm -hmm. it makes all the difference in the world. So true. That's fantastic. Terry, our listeners come from all walks of life. We have people that have started highly successful businesses. We have people that are hoping to do so. We have people that are struggling on a daily basis with business failure. We have people in relationship challenges. We have people that are really just every walk of life. What would be some general ideas in sort of summarizing your lifetime of research and application, work, Mm -hmm. personal experience, prayer, emotional development, Mm -hmm. physical awareness, general ideas for all of our listeners who are facing business, relationship, or personal stresses in their lives? Yeah, that's a loaded question, but I'll, I'll unpack it quickly uh, from just my thought process. But, you know, I, the first one, I think the most important one is what we just talked about. You have to know why you want to do something, not just how. A lot of people can figure out how to build something or how to do something. But if you don't know why you want to do it, you may never finish it. I mean, I just heard an interview this morning that Steve Perry, you know, one of the great rock and roll names of our time, quit the band journey because he he lost his inspiration. That was 20 years ago. And I just heard a story this morning, and I, I was so impacted by it. I mean, I've read parts of it, but to hear him say it live on TV, first interview in 20 years, and, you know, the guy has been successful. Obviously, he's made a lot of money because of the copyrights of what he owns and what he does from the songs he's written, one of the most successful rock bands in history. If you call my phone, it rings back to you, don't stop believing. <laughs> okay, so it's been something I've studied, and, and it's it, it, and I study people because it's interesting. So if you own a business or you're trying to start a family and you can't or you want to and you're not sure, I don't care what the thing is in your life. Like you said, disability, loss of a job. Here, here's the thing: when Steve Perry said I'd lost that, and for 20 years I just floated around, and he met a young lady a few years ago, fell in love with her, she had breast cancer, died just not too long ago, and she made him promise to her, don't stop believing in your music. And now he's back out. He has a new album. I thought it's an infomercial for him. But it's it's the point of if you lose your focus and your passion and your drive for why you're doing something, the music, the magic goes away. You have to know. So that's, to me, that's the most important thing. People ask me all the time, why are you doing biometrics? Why are you into computer science? I mean, you're a psychologist. What are you doing? Because it's a means to an end. It gives me a deeper level of understanding of what's going on inside of the mind-body capacity that I can get to an end result. What is that? To help people know they can get to where they want to be if they just have the right formula. So regardless of what your business is, regardless of what your aspirations are in life, the first and most important thing is you have to know why. Secondly, you obviously need a good plan. You need gold. You need a great network of people. Never underestimate the people that you know and leverage them in a healthy way because it takes an army to do things. You know, even a SWAT team will have multiple members. SEAL teams will have multiple members. So we we have to know why we're doing it. Then you put the how together, the didactics. I can do this, 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 and this. I can get funding. I can put my goals together. I can monitor it. I can sustain it. And then the last one is, you know, as you as you know why and you know how, you can't quit. And if you do, you, you're not quitting. 
you're just as uh, one famous general said, he goes, we're, men, we are not being defeated on this hill. We are going to advance in the other direction. He wouldn't even say <laughs> we're retreating because it, it felt negative to him. So I don't retreat. I'll just back up and punt and keep going. So those are the things that really come out to me and what's driven me in my life. And I won't quit. I'll just die while I'm continuing to execute what I feel like God has given me to do in my life. And your purpose rings so, so true, Terry. And I have to tell you, on behalf Mm -hmm. of all of our listeners, wherever they are in the world, your spirit, your heart, your authenticity, this is completely real. And I wish you could share just a little bit more about when uh, good stress will be re-released in its new format and maybe how listeners can access that. Love to, love to. It's out, actually. <laughs> well, it, you can access it through our websites. I know it's going back out into stores. And uh, the reason we re-released it is because um, uh, I came to a, a great company, uh, Southwestern Consulting, actually just last year. And now they're my booking agency and my publisher. And my other publisher, you know, I, I left with him after several years, so I needed a new publisher. So they became a new publisher, which is great. But I have a new book that's going to be coming out early next year, and it's called Performance Under Pressure. But Good Stress is such a foundational book. We just felt it was really necessary to re-release it again for at least a six- or eight-month period while we finish up Performance Under Pressure. So it can be seen right on the line. I can get you. You know, the website is just my name, Terry Lyles, T-E-R-R-Y-L-Y-L-E-S, and then SWC.com. So it's Terry Lyles, SWC.com. And that's just short for Southwestern Consulting, and that's the publishing group. So you can get those on there now. It's one of my – I've written four. It's one of my favorite books because it means so much to me because, like I said, I wrote it while I was in Thailand during the tsunami, right after it happened, you know, through the whole cleanup and recovery. And the technology is the same uh, in the book, but it it just really was such an inspiration to me to do good stress. And it's living younger, longer. You know, the term now that we use is youthing. Instead of growing older, I want to youth. Throughout my life, I want to grow older, but look younger, feel younger, act younger. So that's what the book is really about. How do you take stress, make it good, good stress, and then how do you live younger, longer throughout your life? I love it. I'm looking forward to being the very next purchaser. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.